Good morning, church. Can anybody get excited with me that Jesus can turn water into wine this morning? Can you guys give a round of applause for that? Some of you guys are like, I don't know. Am I allowed to do that in church? I don't know. Is that okay? Hey, you guys, we are so excited that you guys are with us this morning. We're going through a series called Knowing, and uh, we just want to know Jesus, and we want to really know Jesus, not the traditions about him, not what some religion or denomination says, but what does the Bible actually say about who he is and what he did? And so uh, I thought it'd be great just to start with a little clip from The Chosen this morning. How many of you guys have seen that clip already? Hey, a lot of you guys are watching that. That's good. All right. That's a great way to get to know the Bible as well. And uh, man, it's just a day to celebrate a little bit in here today. Um, I got a, um, Jim, can you stand up for us just for a second? Jim back here, Jim Moosey. Uh, would you guys just give Jim a round of applause? I'll tell you why here in a second. Um, you guys, Jim, this week, I was, it's in my message here in a little bit. You're going to hear about Jim Moore in just a little bit, but you guys, Jim, this week, uh, went to work uh, down at UC uh, Medical Center down there and uh, uh, started just feeling uh, like he wasn't able to walk more than 50 or 60 steps. And, uh, and so I went and saw him and Pam in the hospital this week because uh, uh, he suffered a heart attack um, uh, this week. And uh, I just want to tell y'all, y'all don't have any excuse why, why you can't come to church because Jim's back today. All right. So uh, that's amazing. So give him one more round of applause. We're glad that you're here today. Um, you guys, y'all keep praying for him. I know he's uh, getting used to his new diet that Pam's putting him on and all that stuff, all right? So, uh, but uh, y'all just keep praying for him, and we're thankful for Jim and Pam and all that they do around here uh, as part of our church. And uh, also, you guys, another thing we got to celebrate this morning, um, you guys, uh, I don't know if you guys know Audrey and Gavin Russell, uh, but Gavin, stand up. We got a brand new Marine in the house. He just got back from boot camp, and so uh, basic training. So uh, we're excited that you're here with us, sir. And uh, I know Audrey's excited to have you back as well. And so a uh, good day to celebrate. Uh, if you're wondering, uh, by the way, why there's lots of cookies, it wasn't for Jim, all right, for sure, out in the lobby, all right? And uh, it wasn't for Gavin either. We actually had a wedding here at Grace Point yesterday. In fact, some of you guys, you walked in, you probably thought it was Palm Sunday. This is just leftover from the wedding, all right, right here. But uh, uh, lots of celebrations, lots of graduations, lots of things that we can celebrate. Uh, but the bride and groom did decide to have a cookie reception. And the, the cookies and milk, you guys, we're flowing all right, around here, and uh, and they're here this morning. Oh my gosh! Y'all give them a round of applause. It's they got married yesterday, and they're sitting here on the second row. So that's amazing. You people don't ever skip church. I'm impressed. All right, like heart attacks, weddings, nothing will stop you guys. All right, that's amazing. All right. So- <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm always amazed by you guys. All right, so uh, I've never been to a wedding before, though. I'm going to talk about your wedding. Now I've got to talk about you like you are here instead of like you aren't here. All right, so, but uh, this is a picture that I took from where I was sitting yesterday uh, over here on the side, and uh, I've never been to a wedding before where the son was the best man and the bridesmaid hugged the other bridesmaid at the end when they realized they were officially sisters. So that was really, really cool and special. And uh, I've also never been to a wedding where the pastor, uh, Pastor Spencer, preached but also made cookies for the wedding. So uh, uh, good job, Pastor Spencer, on that one. Uh, so uh, it was a beautiful day yesterday. And uh, I think this is the kind of day it was. On the day of Jesus' first miracle, when he turned water into wine. I've heard it said, you know, if you don't know why Jesus turned water into wine, you probably aren't very fun at weddings. <laughs> but, uh, boo, okay. <laughs> but it's easy to imagine Jesus. Basically, you know, when we think of Jesus, a lot of times we think, okay, he was always probably having a prayer time or always doing something really spiritual with the disciples, right? But here he was 
at a party, a wedding, and he didn't leave immediately after the opening ceremony. I know for me, when I watched pastors growing up, they were always really weird around weddings, you know, whatever. And, and you know, once it got to where there was alcohol service, oh, we got to leave, you know, or if the dancing started, oh, we got to leave, you know, whatever. But Jesus clearly stayed for a while. That's what he did. And I grew up many times, you know, that's what pastors and spiritual leaders, what they did. They'd get up as soon as, you know, they didn't feel comfortable. And I used to think when I was younger, this was the right way to go about this. But before we even get into the miracle today, uh, we have this kind of big glaring thing that I think it's important for us to talk about and to see what scripture actually says about it. And unfortunately, because of different denominational traditions and things, a lot of times this story becomes more focused on what Jesus did or didn't do as opposed to the miracle that he actually did. But because of that, I definitely want to address that before we get into the scripture this morning. Um, even in more recent years, I've seen kids' curriculum that changes this story. Uh, kids' curriculum about this story that would say, Jesus just turned the water into grape juice. The problem with that is what you guys just saw, it's actually in scripture, all right, that this was the best of the wine, all right, is what he turned this into. Um, I've also heard it called, well, Jesus turned this into a fancy party drink, and that's what they had all right, at the wedding. <laughs> okay, that's kind of uh, obscure when scripture's very clear all right, on this. Uh, that, that would make for a great worship song, wouldn't it? Water, you turn into a fancy party drink. You know, it, it doesn't have quite the, the same ring, if y'all remember that old song, right? But it was, it was wine. But if we're being honest here, isn't it interesting that Jesus stayed until the wine ran out? So we have to ask the question, is Jesus the designated driver, all right? Is that what's going on here? Scripture would actually seem to point us, I think, in a different direction here if we look at the Last Supper. And I want to look at these verses this morning uh, before we look at our scripture from John 2 today. Go ahead and put them up on the screen. Uh, this is uh, from Matthew, Mark, Luke. They're all about the same. Verse 17, this is in Luke's gospel. It says, then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Kind of an interesting thing, depending on how you grew up. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. He told the disciples to take the cups of wine. For I will not drink wine again, interesting word, until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. We, we know this, right? We know these verses. Do this in remembrance of me. I just saw this recent, recently, verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Some of you guys are squirming in your seats already just because of that right there. But that's in God's word. And so we need to treat God's word for what it actually says. Scripture would lean itself actually toward the possibility here that Jesus drank wine, if not at the wedding in Cana, definitely at the Last Supper. And if not that, if you want to say, well, I don't know about that, he definitely encouraged the disciples to. So, of course, the big glaring question that we have to answer before we can get to the miracle in our day and time because of where we're at is what does the Bible actually say about this wine or about alcohol? And does everyone have to do the same thing according to Scripture, or is there maybe a couple very valid places to land? I spent some time uh, with a small group 
many years ago at our previous church, and uh, I opened up the small group one time. This was a Sunday school type of a class, Sunday morning. I opened up the small group, and I just asked the question. I didn't give them any hints about where we were going. I just asked the question. I said, what's your favorite drink? (laughs) 55% of the room were honest with me, all right, and they said that it was an alcoholic beverage. And so I thought, wow, okay, that's interesting, all right, that's interesting. We, what do we do with that? What do we do with that? What does Scripture do with that? Um, I want to show you this morning what Scripture, I believe, does with that. I want to highlight just about 10 verses, all right? And you can look through those. You might want to take a picture if this is something that you're interested in. If you want to know what the Bible actually says about alcohol, or about at least about wine. This is probably more about wine. But Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine produces mockers. Alcohol leads to brawls. Those led astray by drink cannot be wise. So that would be kind of like a deterrent verse right there, right? Like, I don't know about, I don't know about if this is a good thing or not, right? We look at Ephesians 5, 18, kind of similar. It says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. So drunkenness clearly not a good thing, right? Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But then on the flip side, 1 Timothy 5.23 says, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Proverbs 29, or 23, 29 through 35 says, who has a woe? Back on the other side. Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine. Those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it's red. When it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly in the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder and keeps going. Romans 14, 21, it's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So you, man, you got a guy in your life or a lady in your life, man, and you're just starting to realize they're going down a path that is not healthy for them. When it comes to alcohol or wine, Romans 14, 21 says, man, probably not a good idea to go drinking with them, right? So Isaiah 5, 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may run after strong drink who tarry late into the evening as wine inflames them. Isaiah 5, 22, what are those who are heroes at drinking wine? The ones who are the best at it. And valiant men in mixing strong drink. But then on the flip side, again, Ecclesiastes 9, 7 says, go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. I could go on, I could read the other ones, but here's what I see when I see scripture a lot of times on this topic, but also on a lot of others, is that our culture loves to run to the sides, right? To the sidelines, our culture loves to say uh, sex is good or bad, wine is good or bad, all right? And we just kind of get to these extreme legalistic extremes, right, on either side. And what Scripture tends to do is it tends to have us consider each of these things and where we should land. It tends to have us say, God, I want to seek you on each of these things and where we should land, as opposed to just being like, this is absolutely wrong, this is absolutely right. You know what religion does? Religion says, here's all the list of do's and don'ts. You know what God does? God says, would you consider me in everything that you do? Those scriptures very clearly say, be careful, be careful, be careful with what you do with this particular issue. Be careful. But I I, I haven't found the verse yet. It says, thou shalt not drink. It's just not there. Seems to me as we look at these verses, Scripture screams, be careful, be careful, be careful. Don't let wine have your heart. The way I grew up with it, all right, my tradition was we don't smoke, chew, and go with the girls who do, all right? (laughs) Some of y'all know that. Y'all heard that. That's what I was taught by the tradition and how I was raised. But the more I've looked at the big three, 
sex, drugs, alcohol, things we teach teenagers not to do, right? (laughs) I found that there can be many times be some good found in what God has created when we don't abuse or begin to worship his creation in a way that is harmful or hurtful to us. The problem that we have in this society today is that this party culture, really, that we've created is, our problem is we live in a sex-crazed, alcohol-crazed, drug-crazed society which means we need to be extremely careful with these things because the rest of our society definitely is not. And that's why we are sometimes set apart in how we treat these things as followers of Jesus. You'd be hard-pressed to come up with five country songs or rap songs that don't mention sex or alcohol. <laughs> Let you try it for the rest of the sermon, all right? In fact, many, many country songs even have alcohol in some sort of a title, <laughs> Some of the songs were even singing to the drink. You know, I don't know if y'all remember the old song, Red, Red Wine. Probably never thought you'd hear that in a sermon, right? You know, but stay close to me. That's the way that song goes. Don't let me be alone. And these things are done in the context that God desires. It may not be all bad, but there's a lot of bad. Definitely when we look around in society, around a sex, when done within the context of a loving marriage where we don't think of lust as love and we don't simply love somebody else's body but connect with their heart and love them for who they are as a whole person in the context of marriage, that can be a blessing from God. It results in many more blessings of children and grandchildren down the road. But when it's treated outside of the bonds of marriage, It's completely different, right? I believe wine, when treated correctly, likewise doesn't have to be evil in its entirety, and nor even drugs. Now, this is kind of an interesting one, and this is where I'm going to have to use Jim as an example, all right, this week. Uh, Jim, I took a picture with Jim. This is us in the hospital. You really appreciate that right there, don't you? Listen, I've seen EpiPens. I've seen heart medicine. Even in my own mom, a couple months ago, saw heart medicine save her life in the moment. I was just in the hospital with Jim this week. We're going to keep praying for him. But I believe that doctors and modern medicine and medications prolonged your life this week. In fact, by the time I got there, he was already up walking around. I was, I was amazed, you know, have a heart attack one day and you can be walking around the next day. See, it's the misuse or overuse of these things that get us. I'll put it this way, and then we'll jump into our scripture this morning, other scripture, besides the, that big long list that I put up just a second ago. Johnny Loman, who went out with Bridge City Church, so not all you guys know Johnny and Amber, but uh, God's done some incredible things in Johnny and Amber's life. Johnny talks about how when he was, in his testimony, when he was with his dad growing up, how their whole relationship before Jesus was drinking, strip clubs, etc. That was what him and his dad did. He would go to the bar instead of being with his wife and kids where he should have been. He said in his testimony that God got his attention one night as he and his dad were sitting at the bar. So they were sitting there just drinking like they always were and uh, making fun of all the other guys in the bar and, and uh, you know, you know, just talking amongst themselves, but basically saying, you know, doesn't that, basically, doesn't that loser have anywhere else to go? Probably some other words. Don't they have families? 
said Johnny was in the middle of cackling and laughing. He began to take a drink, and then all of a sudden he said, I looked at that cup, and I realized I was that loser. He said, in that moment, I couldn't even take another sip. I couldn't finish my drink. From that point, Johnny began to change. He got his life right. Eventually, he got to lead his dad to Christ. I'll never forget the first night he said, I got to pray with my dad for the first time in my life. Got to lead his dad to Christ before his dad just passed away recently. See, it's amazing what happens when we start to worship the Creator instead of worshiping the created. This whole world is trying to get you to worship the created. Worship the created. It's gonna glorify all these other things instead of glorify God. It's gonna try to trick you into being addicted to all these other things instead of being being someone who glorifies God and worships the creator with your life. We're gonna have to be people who are set apart, so don't hear me at all say that just go do whatever you wanna do from what I'm sharing with you this morning. God calls us to be set apart and to weigh what his word says so that we can follow it and work out our own salvation with fear and trembling as we seek to please him in every single area of our life. But see, here's the thing this morning. This whole passage that we're about to look at, it's not about wine. That's just a little side note. It's really about a wedding, (laughs) And the first miracle that Jesus ever did was at a wedding. This story is not about a debate on alcohol. A lot of times it gets thrown into that. But it's about the first miracle of Jesus. So this morning I want to show you why Jesus did the first miracle. Why he turned water into wine. I want you to see it. Hopefully view it um, beyond the lens we just looked at it in. And look at it anew today with me. Look at verse 1. This is what it says. Says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Moving from John 1 to John 2, the next day. Here we go. Uh, he just chose the disciples, and here they go, all right? Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. So you got Mary and Jesus and the disciples that we got so far, all right, also all invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, they've got no more wine. And, and as if you guys have watched The Chosen, we didn't show that part in a little clip this morning, but if you if you watch Watch the chosen, all right? One of the things that you're going to see is, all right, she comes and it's not like a, well, it's no big deal, all right? Ran out of wine. Like, it's like, this is bad. This is bad. This is not supposed to happen at a wedding, right? Uh, if you've ever planned a wedding or planned a party, all right, and you're, the worst thing you can do, ladies, right, is run out of food, all right? So that's, that's the goal, is not to do that. Well, they're running out of stuff. So uh, Jesus says, dear woman, that's not our problem. Then he says some interesting words, my time has not yet come. But his mother's told the servants, maybe to see what her faith was in him and who he was. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Jesus' mother knew who he was and what he was capable of. She told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And I think we just, this is just a little side note this morning, but here's the thing. If God has told you to do something in your life, if there's something scripture very clearly communicates that you need to do or not do, all right, then listen, all right, even though we don't want our relationship with God to just be about a bunch of rules, we still need to be people who do whatever he tells us to do. And if we don't do those things, then we're not worshiping him to the fullest that we could and that we can. 
Jesus follower, this is what we do. We obey the word of God. This summer, man, let me tell you, don't waste your summer. Do what he's calling you to do. Do what his word already tells you to do in your home, all right? When you walk into this place, all right, listen, you can walk into this place and not worship God at all. You can just go through the motions. You can come sit in a seat, grab some coffee and leave and never experience time with God while you're here if you're not careful. We can walk into this place and we can listen to the band play and we can, you can listen to the whole sermon. But listen, if you don't say, God, I want to know you more. God, I want you to pour yourself into me more. God, I want to have a better relationship with you. God, I want you to change me however you need to change me and get rid of the things you need to get rid of out of my life. Add the things that you want to add into my life. Listen, if you don't have that kind of a relationship with him or you don't, you don't, you don't come here with the desire to change, to be closer to him, then listen, you can come in here and not worship God. It's so sad. It's really kind of sad that we've dumbed down this whole relationship with God thing to where it's just a one hour a week thing anyways. But the scary thing is sometimes, man, we can come sit through worship songs and be like, yeah, that doesn't really do a lot for me. Is your, do you have a posture of worship? Here's what I mean by that. Listen, it's easy just to kind of stand and be like, you know, I don't want anybody to see me worship. But at any point, do you ever kneel and get on your knees? Doesn't have to be in here. Do you do that at home? Is there a point where you sing or where you raise your hands or where you close your eyes or where you just try to concentrate? Who God is? Anytime you ever pray with somebody else, listen, if there's no posture of worship in your life, are you doing what he tells you? So where does it say all that? But well, I mean, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. I mean, scripture is very clear. We need to find ways to worship him with our lives. And not just at church, but in your home. We go through that whole list again. Are any of those things evident in your home? In your friendships, in your relationships, does God ever come up? Or do you just kind of know, yeah, this guy, you know, he's, he says he's Christian. I say I'm a Christian. Hey, we're good. Or do you actually ever talk about what God is doing in your life? You ever share what God's doing in your life with somebody else? And you're not sure if they do have a relationship or not. Do you have the guts, the boldness to do that for Christ? He tells us to do that. Listen, listen, there's a lot of things that he asks us to do. He's given us friendships and relationships so you can see how he desires. Listen, this is what Jesus desires. I think this is what we see in this passage, that Jesus desires to take something that would seem very secular, very mundane, very just a moment in, in, in life without God, and make it filled with him and about him, to make it sacred to him. This probably felt to everybody when they walked up like a regular wedding, not the first miracle of Jesus. Listen, friendship could seem like a very mundane, secular thing, the friendships that you have in your life. But listen, friendship is great, but friendship that includes Jesus is so much better. I wish I could I help those of you guys who don't get that yet. I wish you could know how much better it is for people to know about your God, but not just to know about him, all right? You guys kind of know that the other person kind of loves him or whatever, but like to actually get a chance to talk about what he's doing in your life. Family's great, but family that figures out how to have deep, meaningful moments with Jesus together is better. Summer's great, but don't waste all the moments that God gives. God wants to give you this summer and miss what Jesus is trying to do in those moments. Again, when we begin to look at everything around us, like Jesus did this wedding, we begin to look and we begin to see, all right, listen, that God wants to take everything 
about the world and the life that you live and wants to be a part of it. And not just your church life. That's what we do, right? We say, oh, here's my church life. God, you can have that, but I'll, I'll, I'll take care of all the rest. When you begin to include him more in all those other areas, that's when you begin to really see what God wants to do in your life. Again, we could easily just justify where we go by this thought, you know, well, you know, I can go to any party I want, do whatever I want, because that's what Jesus did, and, you know, I just got to take him with me. But you'd be missing something, all right, in, in what I'm talking about here. Jesus was at this party on a mission. He was at this wedding on a mission. Jesus was making himself, his glory, his purpose known to people. He wasn't just joining in for his own personal enjoyment. He was joining in to show them from the start that God desired to be with people. Interesting that the start of Jesus' ministry was at a party with people, and at the end of his time on earth, he was at a last supper with people. And oh, by the way, one day when we get to heaven, I've heard there's going to be a banquet table. We're all going to be eating together, and God is going to be right there among us because he loves people. He shows us that. We'll see that all through the book of John. Jesus loved people. Jesus was found spending time with people. This is why, by the way, I believe the church is supposed to create opportunities for community around here. It's why we give you lots of opportunities to come and worship on Sunday. It's why we're going to do a picnic together on July the 3rd. All right, because listen, we ought to be able to hang out and have a picnic together and not just worship Jesus in here together. Amen? All right, a few nodded heads. All right, that's good. I like to picnic. I don't know about you guys. It's why we meet for church. It's why we're doing an outdoor movie night with your students tonight. And you guys are welcome to come, families, as families, if you want to. Listen, it's why we do things like that. Why? Why do we do that? Because we believe that God wants to just be a part of our lives. And we want people to experience him in community together. It's why we do grace groups, right? It's why we, why we do things outside of this room together. People, people begin to realize that we don't just want to preach at them, but we want to really have a relationship with them that is centered around Jesus. All right, listen, that looks different than just walking into a room for an hour on Sundays. And here's what I believe that God wants to do in your life. Whatever he says, he wants you to do it. And you guys are the ones, more than even the church, all right, the church organization, all right, you guys as the church, as followers of Jesus, you create the community way more and I do, or Pastor Spencer, or any of the rest of us do. You create the community as whatever he tells you to do, you do it. Second half of this story, look at verse six. So this is where Jesus turns the water into wine. Look at this, it says, so standing, this is, this is more of the why. It says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Interesting description. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. This is what we just saw. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, all right, they didn't make this up in the chosen, all right? It says, verse 10, he said, a host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone's had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. He's like, congratulations, I can't believe you guys did this. Wow, you're amazing. Again, this is not grape juice. This is the best wine according to the wedding planner guy. <laughs> he's amazed, he's astonished. And of course, why would we expect anything less of Jesus than that he would give and make the best? <laughs> now, scientifically, this is of course impossible. 
Wine, and especially good wine, takes years and years to become good wine, right? All right? That made people spend years and years with it just sitting there, right, sometimes. But isn't it great to know that what would take us years to do, Jesus can do in a moment. Jesus can do in a moment. Jars used for ceremonial Washing, I got a picture of maybe what these jars look like. Y'all probably saw it up on the screen earlier as well. Maybe some other things going on here when we consider why Jesus would do this miracle as his first miracle. The jars, uh, they were used, it said, for ceremonial washing, for purification purposes. Jesus, with this first miracle, filled the ceremonial washing jars with water that turned to wine. One can't help but recognize here the foreshadowing when we think of how Jesus' blood, many times symbolized by wine, would wash us clean and purify us from our sins. We're still symbolizing that today. We just did it in this service, talking about how Jesus' blood is what washes us clean. Jesus started that with the very first miracle, and I never saw that before. I don't know if you guys have. Simply through these jars. We'll see it again in John 4, 10, John 4, 14, how Jesus uses the term living water it says, whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Don't think that just a few all right, days before, a few chapters before, they're not thinking about what God already did with the water and how he turned something that seemed very mundane and very normal into something amazing. Just as Jesus turns water into wine here and takes something normal like water and makes it better, we also recognize that his new covenant that is ushered in by his first coming is here, all right, as, he, as he's living his life right here as we're looking in John 2, by his first coming, that that is better, all right, the new covenant than what had happened in the old covenant back in the Old Testament. I mean, I don't know if you guys know how much you know your Bible, but listen, um, for them to be washed clean, for them to be uh, thought of as forgiven in the Old Testament, they had to go and they had to do animal sacrifices and things like that. How many of you guys are glad that we don't have to walk in here and do lamb and like animal sacrifices every single Sunday? I, I'm, I, I, that made me a little queasy. I don't know about you guys. So I might have to find another profession if that's what we were supposed to do. Some of you guys would be like, hey, I'm all up for that. My son, he'd be like, we can handle that. You know, whatever. He loves animals. But I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, our ability to come to Christ for forgiveness is such a better way that we have now to be forgiven and purified than what they had in the Old Testament. And Jesus, this is what he does. He begins to symbolize here in this moment. This miracle is three and a half years before Jesus' death, but from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this miracle shows us what he was already thinking about as he began from the beginning to symbolize to the world what he could do for us. Charles Spurgeon, he put God's sovereignty this way. As we see here in Jesus beginning his three and a half years ministry, right from the very beginning, knowing where he was headed. Charles Spurgeon says to you today, cheer up, Christian. Things are not left to chance. No blind fate rules the world. God has purposes and those purposes are fulfilled. God has plans and those plans are wise and can never be dislocated. What would have been impossible for us, Jesus shows us that he can do in a moment. You and I had no shot, no way of cleansing ourselves, but Jesus forgave us. What would take us more than forever to do, Jesus can do in a moment. For someone who's willing to say, today, Jesus, I want to give you 
my life. I don't want tradition. I don't want religion. I want to know how I can have a relationship with the God of the universe. One last look this morning at what Jesus did after the wedding. Verse 13, very next verse says, it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. So Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifices. We just talked about that, right? This is what they were doing back in the Old Testament, right? And, and Jesus hadn't died yet, so they're still doing it in the temple, all right? Cattle, sheep, doves being sold for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. A little foreign exchange like you see in the airport or right, happening right there at the church, all right? Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. All right, he drove out the sheep and the cattle. Do you see it? He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over the floor, turned over their tables, then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. They'd just been at the wedding. Now they're with him in the temple. They remembered this prophecy from the scripture. Passion for God's house will consume me. See, a lot of times what we do is we break these stories up, right? We go, here's the story of Jesus, here's the story of Jesus, here's the story of Jesus. Completely different sermons. But if we look at this one in light of the last one, what an amazing thing. Jesus is foreshadowing. Here he goes. Uh, he's clearing out the old sacrifices. He's saying, here comes the new, here comes the new, here comes the new. You know what? I'm not happy, all right, with how this temple's going. Jesus continues in the next story to reveal exactly who he is. He says, passion, all right, we see passion for God's house will consume me. That was a verse from the Old Testament. The disciples start remembering it. They start going, whoa, maybe he is the one that we should follow. He's fulfilling scripture. He's fulfilling prophecies. He goes to the temple, only he finds that it's not currently a place of worship to his great God, but feels more like a Walmart. <laughs> Buying, selling, no focus on God. So much so that God can walk right in and nobody even notices that Jesus is there. Walks right in literally. Which... I think says this about us this morning. We always have a tendency sometimes to take what should be sacred but leave God out. God has a tendency to take what's mundane and what's normal and what's ordinary and say, in a moment, I can change this. I can change this. I can make this new. I can make this better. We have a tendency to say, you know what? I just want to leave God out. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you walked in this room you realized that God was here? You were to get past maybe your, your cynicism of church, your cynicism and skepticism of pastors or leaders, just, I mean, leaders in the 21st century, is just kind of crazy, right? I mean, just get past that stuff, get past um, the fact that you, um, you know, had to sacrifice for your, all the other thoughts going on in your mind, and you were able to just go, God, it's me and you spending time together today. We can walk in this room and leave God out. If we're not careful, 
That's what was happening in this temple, right? When was the last time you realized that God was here? When was the last time you realized that God was in your home? You just spend some time. Say, God, I, I just want to acknowledge that you're here. I just want to acknowledge that I need you in my life here. That I need you in my life, in my kids' lives. That I need you in my life and in my marriage. That I need you to help me get through work today. When was the last time that you acknowledged him in those places? The tendency to leave God out. It can be very easy for us to walk in and out of church, in and out of our relationships in, that God's given us, in and out of our homes and never recognize that God's right there with you there too. Man, remember what we learned about Jesus at the wedding. He desires to take everything that is secular or mundane or normal about your life, about your relationships, your job, your home, your vacation, and turn it into something that includes him. Every relationship, every day, every moment has the ability to become a place where you can see him and find him when you seek him with all your heart. Are you seeking him like that today? See, God never intended for his word or his life or his Holy Spirit to be seen by us as a tradition or just a, or just a thing that we do on the side. He wanted to be involved in every part of your life. This is why 1 Corinthians 3 says your very body is the temple of God. So glorify God with your body everywhere that you go. So everything is sacred and you don't leave God out. Because God can do something amazing in every moment in every area of your life. To me, this is why Jesus turned water into wine, to transform the normal, the secular, into something sacred that included him, to transform everyday life into something special, to show us the power that he has to change things in a moment. If we're the temple of the holy God this morning and he lives inside us, don't you think he's passionate about us? That's what he was saying. Passion for his house, his temples, would consume him. And that's why he gave up his life. What about us? There's a, a sign was put on a door of a church that closed. I always hate to hear stories of churches closing. We're church, we were church planters, so we, we love helping plant churches. We love to see new life. Sometimes churches close. In fact, I think that'll be a reality more and more in the coming years as many churches age out, as they get older. There's a story about a church that closed in 1963 in New York. It's called University Christian Church. On the last Sunday that they had, they put a sign, first Sunday that they weren't meeting, they put, a, they put a sign on the door when they closed in 1963. said, gone out of business? So we didn't know what our business was. Church, Grace Point, and we never forget what our business is and what we're to be about knowing Christ with all of our hearts and in making him known to the community. 
by being on mission with our God to take what is normal, what is average, what seems like unholy ground and turning it into holy ground with Jesus.